0: Welcome to Recode Media with Peter
1: Kafka, that is me, and today we've got a timely interview about Web3 and the crypto crash and what might happen next. i talking to Molly White. She's an engineer who's become one of the leading Web3 skeptics. She runs a site called Web3 is going just great, and she's great. But first, a word from me about me. I've told you before, I'm writing a column for Box.com now every week. It covers a lot of the stuff we talk about on this podcast, media, and tech, what happens as those things intersect. And now, if you want, you can get that column delivered to your mailbox every Wednesday for free. The first one is out today. It's about Hollywood celebrating Netflix's fall, and whether Netflix's problem is a Netflix problem or a streaming problem, which would be bad news for Hollywood. You can sign up for it by going to box.com newsletters. If you don't like typing URLs, we got you covered. You can go to my Twitter. There's a link. Click on it. You're done. It's easy. I'm already getting good feedback about this. Maybe some featured guests. Uh, so thank you. Keep it coming. And now on to Molly White. Uh, one note here is that I try to keep jargon and acronyms out of my interviews, but that's particularly difficult when you talk about crypto. So when you hear me mention DAOs, you should know that I'm talking about something called Decentralized Autonomous Organizations, which are basically the crypto version of a collective or a co-op. Okay, that's all. Now here's Molly White. Molly White is a software engineer Uh, She spent a lot of time at HubSpot in Cambridge, but she is now known as the person behind a website called Web3 is Going Just Great, which is dedicated to documenting how Web3 is not going great. And now she's become the go-to source for people trying to understand why they don't understand Web3, which is why she's on this show today. Welcome, Molly.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, You are very much in demand. I'm just saying off air. Um, um, So thank you for joining us. I want to ask you about the website. Web3 is going just great. But first, we should provide some context. A lot of people who listen to the show will know what Web3 is, or at least they've heard about it, in part because we dedicated an episode to it earlier this year with a pro Web3 uh, investor. But for those who are just joining, how do you describe Web3? What is Web3? Why should we pay attention to it?
2: So Web3 has sort of emerged as this term to describe what people believe will be the future of the web. And so instead of the web as we know it today, we will be interacting apparently with uh, all of these services that are all based around blockchains and cryptocurrencies and sort of related technologies. And so the idea really is, you know, people sell this promise that it will democratize the web, you know, you'll be able to control your own data, you know, things like that, uh, which to date have not really borne out, you know, it's very nascent, I would say. And so, you know, we're sort of in this weird state where people are sort of telling us that this is the future, but it's not yet clear what exactly will happen.
1: When I wrote about, I tried to do a Web3 explainer earlier this year, and I dumbed it down to Web3 as a rebranding of crypto. Is that reasonable in your opinion?
2: Absolutely. Own? I mean, so I, I just gave sort of the, the uh, steel man pitch that, mm-hmm. you know, that is sort of what you will hear uh, Web3 proponents say. But in my opinion, it is really more of a marketing term. You know, I think the word blockchain lost a little bit of its, you know, sparkle and bitcoin lost a little bit of its sparkle with the you know 20 2017 crash and so you know they were sort of looking for this new way to brand it make it more accessible to a wider audience and i think web3 is that i think that's that's what we're seeing
1: so like i said you you you've had a day job i think you're on a break right now but you worked for hubspot for a while i think you intend to go back to work as an engineer but this is what you're doing with your time now why did you create a website dedicated to, and we should explain what the website is, I guess you can explain it a bit, but but why create this website? What prompted you to do it and now spend a lot of time on it?
2: So when I was seeing people talking about Web3 being the future of the web and suddenly something that everyone was going to have to interact with and that everyone should apparently be putting money into, um, I was simultaneously seeing this other side of it where people were getting scammed a lot people were getting their money stolen, these big projects were getting hacked, and all the money was being taken. You know, it was just sort of one incident after another of things going really poorly in what has been told, you know, what we've been told is the future of the web, and even the future of society. I mean, people are sort of broadening it to replacing, you know, the entire monetary system, for example,
1: or government. Yeah.
2: Or government. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, you know, I was feeling like we were getting these two very competing narratives. And, you know, the the hacks felt very ephemeral, you know, I would see them on Twitter or something like that. And then the next day, you know, the collective, you know, mind would move on to something new. And so I I wanted there to be a place where people could go and look and see how is this Web3 thing really going. And so, you know, the idea for the website really came from there.
1: So it's one thing to have that idea. It's another thing to say, I'm going to spend time creating this thing. And basically, so this is a, you've just got a running total of like bad things happening involving Web3 projects, rug pulls, which is a great Web3 term for getting scammed. Um, You collect all of those. You don't make any money from this. As far as I can tell, there's no advertising on it. I think you say you don't make any money. Why, why invest your time personally on this project?
2: I mean, this is sort of just what I do for fun. (laughs) You know, I, um you know, a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, but some people know me as a Wikipedia editor, which is a hobby that I've had for many years Mm -hmm. now. Um, And collecting information and making it accessible to people is just sort of my hobby. Uh, And this didn't seem well suited to Wikipedia, you know, like these one off projects were not notable by any stretch. uh, And, you know, there isn't really a good way to sort of put this stuff into Wikipedia. Plus, I have very strong opinions about this, and and wanted to reflect those opinions. And obviously, you know, a neutral encyclopedia is not the place for that either. And so, you know, it seemed like the right choice to to do this in a separate project where I could, you know, have a little more creative freedom.
1: So, some people watch sports. Some people uh, like to cook or do yoga. Running a a, a catalog of of Web three screw ups is is your hobby. Something like that. <laughs> One of the things I find fascinating about Web3 is the people who are proselytizing on behalf of it, and I use that word intentionally, Seem there's real, like, a religious fervor to it and real resistance to criticism, at least the stuff you see on, on Twitter, which, to be honest, right, like, is engendered, is, is created to sort of make people more hostile. But w- what reaction are you getting from Web3 fans, advocates, investors to your website?
2: It was actually a more pleasant reception than I expected. I sort of expected the same, you know, hostility. Um, it's sort of been an interesting project in that I think it sort of slots in well in a way that uh, does not anger a lot of web three people. Um, you know, I because the think- the
1: whole premise of it is this: this stuff is is a disaster.
2: Right, yeah, which you'd think would make people very upset, and there are people who dislike the site or have all sorts of criticisms for and, it. And,
1: and just to be clear, I mean, if you haven't checked out the site, it's easy. It's Web Three is Going Great dot com, and you the header is Web Three is Going Just Great. Ellipses, and is definitely not an enormous grift that's pouring lighter fluid on, on our already smoldering planet. So that's quite a direct criticism. And but so why aren't they offended by this?
2: I think a lot of people, I think there's sort of two things. One is I think people in Web3 and crypto are sometimes able to see criticism as a positive thing and as a way that they need to improve. So some people have said, this is actually kind of a service, you know, to to really highlight the failings of what they believe is a very early technology. The other thing is I think people are able to sort of look at it and say, well, that's not my project. You know that other project is going really badly but my project is going well.
1: Those guys are scammers. I'm I'm not. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Um so I think it's it's sort of dodged some of the criticism in that way. But I have received a lot of criticism and and sort of vitriol for for my broader writing and criticisms of web3 and and crypto more generally. Um so unfortunately I have not <laughs> escaped that entirely.
1: I don't know if you follow chris dixon on on twitter uh i don't
2: because he blocked me
1: (laughs) okay well there you go uh so chris dixon is one of the handful of most prominent web3 advocates he's a partner at andreessen horowitz they've investing billions of dollars into this anyway Last night or early this morning, he, he tweeted, in every new tech wave, Internet Web 2, Mobile Web 3, there's a set of professional cynics who achieve brief fame but then fade away when the tech they deride goes mainstream. Happens over and over. Now, he might be talking about you. He could be talking about someone else. Do you hear that? that? Oh, this is what you're doing to sort of leverage fame and notoriety for yourself at the expense of our awesome tech.
2: Yeah, I've been getting that a lot, which is odd because I try to be very clear that I don't make money from this and that this is not my career by any stretch, which people seem to just either refuse to believe or they they say that I'm I'm doing it for similarly self-interested reasons that don't involve money which have yet to become clear to me. It's an odd thing to say. You know, I think if we step back and look at you know crypto and blockchains and things like that as as a broader technology, you know, I think most technologies really benefit from criticism and skepticism and naysayers and all of that. and And it's sort of this odd situation that we found ourselves in where where people really don't want that, which, you know, is something that you would think that they would. You would think that criticism and skepticism would be a benefit for people who really do believe that we need to make this a part of our society. And so it's odd that people are so hostile to it. Um, but I think, you know, there's just this huge incentive with crypto to be overwhelmingly positive despite all reality. And so we're seeing a lot of that.
1: Can we talk about some of the specifics? I mean, uh, I could, you, again, and we can just go to the website and look at what you're writing about. But can you talk about the kind of stuff, some examples of stuff that you're highlighting here and why, why you're pulling it out and, and, and having people focus on it?
2: Yeah. I mean, generally I try to highlight incidents where things go really poorly, so like huge hacks, scams and things like that.
1: People are losing money.
2: Yes. Yes. And I also try to highlight individual incidents where, you know, it may not be a huge amount of money for, you know, a millionaire, but for this person it it was really impactful. So, you know, I've highlighted a handful of ones, you know, recently we saw the Terra collapse, which was the issue with the Terra stablecoin and then there was a lot of fallout from that.
1: Were billions of dollars evaporated, billions of dollars of value, at least, evaporated.
2: Yeah, nominal value, at least, have, have evaporated. And there have been all of these sort of ripple effects across the Terra ecosystem where projects that depended on that have fallen apart for various reasons, you know, poor coding practices that depended on the Terra stablecoin always actually being stable, which no longer is the case, things like that.
1: One of the analogies uh, Web3 advocates use, and one that I think about a lot because I was around for for the dot-com boom, I think you're 28, right? So you would have been very young during the dot-com <laughs> boom and bust is there's lots of similarities here. There was lots of crap during dot-com. There were lots of dumb stocks that went public. Average people were investing in this stuff. It was something you could do as sport. And there were pump-and-dump schemes on bulletin boards, and and there's lots of parallels to what's happening today, except instead of going to bulletin board, it's happening on Twitter. And so, yes, there's bad actors and and things go wrong, and there might even be a crash that wipes out a lot of this stuff, but eventually you're going to have useful stuff that comes out of this. You'll have your Amazons and your Googles and things that were formed either, you know, near the end of the the bubble or after the bubble. And and anyone who spent time, you know, in 2001 saying, wow, the internet turned out to be just a fad would have been wrong. And that's the same thing with Web3. You just have to have the right time frame. Does that argument make sense to you?
2: I sort of see where people are coming from with that argument, although I don't agree with it obviously you know i think with the dot com bubble we saw a lot of very similar things but the difference that i see is that the underlying technology and the software that people were building in those times had promise you know there was a strong purpose behind you know the the early internet and some of these you know broader projects that we were seeing and i don't see that to be true with web 3 you know there's a lot of Uh, promise around what blockchains are going to enable. And much of it, in my opinion, is frankly not reasonable. You know, blockchains have very limited benefits. And in what we're seeing with Web3, people tend to look like they're just applying them to everything that they can, which I don't think is liable to leave a lot of, you know, promising software, even once Web3, you know, collapses and the bubble bursts or whatever people think might happen.
1: Yeah, I don't have your technical sophistication, but again, I do remember, you know, mid and late 90s, you could see immediately why this stuff, and it was immediately useful, why it was immediately useful to be able to send and receive emails and go to a website and look at information. And yes, maybe it was slow and it took a long time. And you know, the idea of streaming video was, was you could barely stream music. All that stuff was very hard to imagine actually working, but you could see immediate benefit now and you could sort of project out. And here I keep asking Web3 people, can you show me something that's not That's working today that isn't about speculation or collecting things. And I don't think there's a problem with either of those ideas. But if that's the main use case, that seems very limited. But on the other hand, I do talk to people who are smart. Some people I know pretty well. They don't seem to be devious scammers. They seem to think there's a there, there. And that keeps giving me pause. Like if I know this many people who are. You know, again, people can be lemmings, but lots of people I know and respect are interested in this stuff. And so I shouldn't dismiss it out of hand. Does that back of the head nag get to you as well?
2: Not particularly. I mean, I think that, you know, people are well within their rights to explore new technologies and, you know, if they see promise, then that's great. But I I do disagree that, you know, this is the type of technology that is going to transform the web Uh, Or that we will be seeing broadly deployed, uh, you know, across web software, but even financially, it's not fit for purpose, in my opinion.
0: We're going to take
1: a quick break and we'll be right
0: back with Molly White. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit Mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. And we're back. So I want to talk about Wikipedia.
1: So, again, you said you spent your, your previous life. You were known for for editing a lot of Wikipedia stuff. And it seems like one of the philosophies of Web3 is this decentralized, community oriented where everyone gets to weigh in. And, you know, that has worked very well, I think, in a lot of cases for with Wikipedia. There's some limits to that in Wikipedia as well. And so it obviously appeals to you, the idea that you can get on a community website and make edits and discuss things with people. And there's kind of a sorting hat mechanism to figure out what's going to go on to the site. Why doesn't that work? in when you hear people talking about Web3 mechanisms like DAOs, which are really supposed to be sort of the same philosophy, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I've said this before, but I, I think a lot of the things that people talk up as benefits of web three are actually things I'm very interested in. You know, I love the idea of communities that are built around a shared goal. I I love the idea of um, you know, people controlling their own data, things like this. Um, I just see crypto, blockchain technology and these things as a poor way to achieve that. Um, so to use Wikipedia as an example, you know, I've I've heard people's you know, talk about we should build a Web3 Wikipedia where, you know, there's a token involved and everyone, you know, is incentivized to edit because of this token and then people can vote with their tokens and all this kind of thing. Um And I think that that is actually something that would destroy Wikipedia as we know if it. If there was you know,
1: financial if- incentive attached to it. And then financial right. incentive is core for lots and lots of Web3 projects. It's not just that you're doing it because it's fun, you're doing it because there might be value attached to it that you could benefit from.
2: Exactly. And I, I think if we were to try to introduce some financial incentive to editing Wikipedia, and obviously the details of that could be very different depending on how you did it, but regardless, I think any financial incentive to edit Wikipedia would be enormously destructive to the project. You know, we have people today who are paid to edit Wikipedia Uh, And it's been a huge problem for the Wikipedia community because paid editing um, just has totally different incentives from the people who are editing, you know, without monetary uh, incentive. And I think, you know, trying to build communities around that is often you have things that are working at odds, you know, there's the goal of the community, whatever it might be, build an encyclopedia, save the rainforest, feed the hungry, you know, there are all sorts of very, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
2: noble goals out there with these DAOs. And then you have this other incentive, which is make money, make the token value go up, bring more people into this community by, you know, touting this token. And I think that those things often work directly against each other. So, you know, broadly, I love the idea of communities focused around shared goals, but that is nothing that is new. You know, we've had it, co-ops and mutual organizations for for ages.
1: Is there a version of a DAO where it just sort of exists it, it, there's a blockchain enabled DAO, Decentral, decentralized autonomous organization, I think is the is the acronym. Yes. <laughs> where it's it's not about token incentives, um, but there's something about the blockchain that makes it work better because you validate people's identity or some version of that where you could say, oh, I could see you could strip out the economics, and then this would be interesting. Does that exist in your mind?
2: I mean, I've seen people try to do that. But overwhelmingly, when I see that, it seems like they're introducing all of these new problems to, you know, a, a goal that has been achieved quite well in the past. You know, people have been able to join Communities and vote on the organization or the governance of those yeah. communities. That's nothing that crypto enables. And so when people are trying to do this sort of you know economics less you know finance less DAO, they're sort of working against those things a lot of the time. You know they have these issues where it's really difficult to determine if one person hasn't joined the organization five times because you know crypto is is sort of anonymous in some ways. Um, you know there are all these sort of issues that they are fighting against often that are introduced by blockchains themselves.
1: and there's a the one of the I guess guys it was a Chris Dixon essay that that really sort of first sparked my interest in this when he was saying this is a good way, a good thing for creators because they can create stuff. they can sell it directly to fans. Um, which, again, already exists, but they can do that. And then just as important, if that stuff gets resold, the creator can benefit from the resale of that. And so you're not just making a painting or a song or whatever it is and selling it once, but you're creating something that can generate income for you. And you're doing it without having to rely on a publisher or a Spotify or whatever it is. Does that appeal to you? Because that theoretically appeals to me.
2: The goal is, again, one that I share, Um, but I think, you know, a lot of these projects that are saying, you know, we won't need Spotify, which takes huge cuts of, you know, artists, uh, of artists' money and things like that, um, they sort of, it seems like they're attacking the wrong problem. You know, we've been able to distribute music without any issue, you know, sending a music file or streaming it or whatever it might be. We've been able to send payments to musicians. That's nothing hard. The, the thing that Spotify is doing really is providing this platform for the musicians. And so musicians find it very difficult to sell their music or, or you know, podcasters have difficulty, you know, selling their, or, um, you know, sharing their podcasts without Spotify. Um, but the Web3 promise really is, is sort of focusing on the first two things, the the sharing of the music, the the financialization of the music, not the thing that Spotify really adds, which is that it is a sort of central place where you can go listen to music by any artist you might like. And so I think, you know, that artists will still face the same things, the same problems that they face today, which is the discovery side of things, that they have to spend all of this time, you know, promoting their music and finding places where they can get it in front of a lot of people. And Web3 doesn't really solve that. In a lot of ways, the goals of Web3, which involve decentralization, where there could be 20 different Spotify's, for example, I think will actually make that even harder for artists who now have to try to get themselves listed on all of these different uh, right. And then one of
1: the counters, that is, no, no, the, the the people who are consuming your music are not just consuming it. They've they've invested in it now. So they're incented to promote it to more people. And I think, boy, that is the least appealing world I want where yeah, my friends who like fun. music are trying to get me to listen to music so so the value of their music can go up. Like, I want no part of that. Right. Um, is there, is, can you think of a Web3 project that you've seen that exists in real life that you think, you know what, that's a good one. I like it.
2: Honestly, I mean, like I said, there are a lot of projects where I like what they're trying to do, and I just disagree with the ways that they're going about it. So, you know, I think there are some interesting ones. Gitcoin is an interesting one where they're trying to sort of... um finance you know it provide payments to people who are who are developing open source software i totally agree with that goal you know i love open source software i think that it's difficult for people who are building it to receive you know payment and and are to become able to actually do that type of thing without the financial aspect of it um but again you know i i have major concerns with the, the way that it is actually built and the the way that that money is actually flowing in And, you know, I think, you know, we look at a project like Gitcoin and we see, you know, the way that the money is actually coming into that project and being distributed. And it doesn't look a whole lot different from a lot of what's happening today.
1: We are in a crypto crash. Uh, Bitcoin as a proxy is down, I think, 50 percent from where it was maybe six months ago. And cryptocurrencies move around a lot. They're very volatile so we don't know whether this is the the crash or if it's going to bounce back up again since you're following this stuff pretty much full time do you see a direct connection between you know cryptocurrencies crashing and people's enthusiasm for web3 projects waning or or are they untethered
2: i think there is some sort of souring happening you know especially for people who have been impacted by the crash financially they're seeing that maybe this this thing that was on a pretty good bull run for a while, you know, may actually have some downsides. So I have seen that. I've seen a lot of people really worried about the, the future of it and whether or not, you know, they've their decision to put money into it or even to work for some of these companies that are based in, you know, Web3 doing well uh, was really the right decision. So I've been seeing some of that. Yep.
1: One more Wikipedia question. So one of the things that you focused on on Wikipedia were uh, online attacks on women gamers, that's Gamergate, and and also the Boogaloo militia movement, some of the more toxic parts of, of the web. You're wading into an area here that we've already described as is, is toxic, and, and it's also quite male. Are there parallels there for you? Uh, do you draw connections between that, or do they seem pretty separate?
2: No, there's definitely connections. I mean, you see a lot of the same things among crypto proponents, as you see in, you know, some parts of the alt-right, some of these extremely online manosphere communities like incels, Um, there's a lot of the same language, there's a lot of the same memes, there's a lot of the same misogyny, honestly, Mm -hmm. and and various other forms of bigotry. Um, You know, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of the same sort of online radicalization showing up in crypto communities as in some of these sort of deeper political parts of the web. Um, And I think the same sort of attacks on on people who who try to criticize it.
1: I mean, there's a lot of women I know who were involved in Gamergate or just frankly, Twitters who basically said, I'm out. I I don't want to be a public person in this world. It's it's too taxing for me. Um, I think if you're a straight white guy like me, it's hard to sort of understand the amount of vitriol and hate and and obscenity that can be sent your way. Are you getting that or or you I guess at the beginning of the talk, you said it's been pretty benign so far from the Web3 folks.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say the reaction to the specific Web3 is going just great project has been fairly benign. The reaction to my broader criticisms of crypto and sort of my opinions in that have been a little bit more uh, (laughs) toxic, I would say. So um, I have definitely experienced some of that.
1: Two more questions, both about money. Um, One I've been consumed with for the last year, which is I keep seeing crazy numbers attached to crypto, whether it's the value of a Beeple, NFT, or the total amount of money in the system, and now we're seeing on the way down, $1.6 trillion of value has evaporated. In the stock market, when something goes down, that's real money that goes away, and someone had it, and then it went into someone else's pocket. Do we know if if, if cash is actually leaving the crypto ecosystem or if everything is sort of because cryptocurrency was so inflated that that was inflating values of NFTs, et cetera. And a lot of this actually isn't money that real people are losing.
2: It's really hard to tell with the crypto ecosystem how much of it is real money that people put dollars or whatever other currency into the system versus what is sort of just imaginary fake internet money that has been conjured out of nowhere. Um, and, you know, these projects like Tether and, and the stable coins are actually sort of contributing to that problem in a way, I think, because, you know, although Tether claims to be backed by real assets, there is a lot of question around whether that's actually true. And so it's hard to say, really, that, you know, the number of Tethers in circulation is equivalent to the actual number of U.S. dollars that have been put into that system. A lot of this stuff, it's, you know, I try to use the words, you know, nominal value or notional value because... You know, if someone loses "quote unquote" you know two hundred thousand dollars when their board ape is stolen. Um, you have to sort of assume that they could have actually sold that board ape for an equivalent amount of cryptocurrency, and then actually cashed out that amount of cryptocurrency for U.S. dollars or whichever local currency they use. And a lot of the time, that's not actually true. Um, there's a lot of wash trading. Um, you know, basically people selling an NFT between themselves, really, to really drive up the price.
1: I sell you my NFT for one ETH, and then and then you sell it back to me for two ETH, and now the thing is doubled in value, etc. Uh, and there's really no regulation of that. That's right, the point exactly. No and
2: you don't even need a second person. You can just create two crypto wallets and move mm-hmm. it between those two and make it look like someone is actually... You know, there is demand for your NFT that doesn't actually exist. And then, you know, hopefully at the end, sell it to someone who's been tricked into believing that it has this. Um, So, you know, I think it's enormously difficult to say uh, how much money is truly in the crypto ecosystem. But I think it's very safe to say that it is not as much as some of the numbers that we've been seeing.
1: So let me bring this back to, to you and money. You said you want to go back to work as an engineer. When, when at that point do you have to stop chronicling the excesses of, and failures of Web three, or do you think you'll have a job that allows you to do that? Do you think this project makes you more employable, less employable, neutral?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was I started the project while I was still working, so you know I, I I've been taking a break from my job, uh, you know, since the beginning of the month, but you know, that, that's sort of an unrelated thing. So I haven't had any real issue maintaining the website along with working full time. So I don't see any reason that would change when I go back to work. As for my employability, I think it really depends on who you ask. I think some people like outspoken uh, software engineers and and people who are sort of involved in the broader technology community. And I think some people also see that as a risk. But, you know, as someone, again, who's been publicly, visibly editing Wikipedia articles and attracting some amount of harassment as a result of that, I've sort of always needed to work someplace that is a little bit more resistant to people calling them up and saying, hey, your software engineer said something mean about me. Uh, And that happens?
1: That has happened?
2: It has happened, unfortunately.
1: Okay. Well, I will not say anything mean about you. I'm delighted you came on the show. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Molly White.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Thanks again to Molly White. Thanks again to Travis and Jelani for their excellent production and editing work. These guys rock. Thanks to our sponsors who let us bring you this conversation for free. And thanks to you guys. Um, I say it all the time. I always mean it. I appreciate your input. I appreciate your feedback. I appreciate criticism. Someone sent a, a lengthy critique of, of my introductions to this podcast. And uh, I take it all to heart. Um, thank you very much. It's Rico Media, Peter Kafka. I will see you next week.